Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin. Today on the RV, we are chatting to Richard Stone, who is currently in Georgia. He's the nationally recognized speaker on the power of storytelling in business. He has helped develop StoryCare and is the co-author of the book, Story Intelligence. So Richard, welcome to the RV. Oh, I'm glad to be here, Lucia. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Me too. And Rick, you mentioned briefly how the National Storytelling Festival changed your life. What is this festival and how did you come across it? Uh, years ago, I used to do a lot of backpacking and I was out west in the United States and flying back to Orlando where I lived. And there were a couple of people sitting in the same row with me and they were backpackers. And so we started talking. And of course, they wanted to know if I had hiked this trail or that trail. And at some point they said, have you ever been to the National Storytelling Festival? And I, I sort of shrugged. I said, no, what's that? I never heard of it. And it's uh, in Jonesboro, Tennessee, which is up in the northeast corner of Tennessee, uh, just in the kind of the foothills of the Smoky Mountains. And it's an historic old town that's a delightful town. The old downtown has no traffic lights. Uh, and most of the buildings were built in the 1800s. There was even a, their, the building that they have their headquarters in is built, was built in 1798 or something. And, you know, it obviously has been rehabbed through the years. And they, uh, I guess now it's probably going on 50 years ago or so. Um, someone pulled up a, a wagon with some hay bales. And they had, a, they had uh, some storytellers from up in the, the mountains come down and tell stories. And people gathered around and said, well, that was a lot of fun. And it has obviously grown and evolved over the years. And they set up these revival-sized tents all over town. It's the first weekend in October every year, first full weekend. And they bring in the best storytellers in the world, uh, from all over the world, and uh, oral storytellers. And... Uh, it is a very folksy experience. There's, uh, it could be a couple thousand people in the audience sitting under one of these big tents and it's uh, a great fun. And uh, so I ended up getting to know these people I met on the airplane and they come fall. They said, hey, by the way, we're heading up to the festival in a couple of weeks. Would you like to come with us? And at the time I owned an advertising agency in Orlando. And I was, it was for sale, actually, I was trying to sell it. And I was looking for every opportunity I could to get the hell out of there. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to be, I was hating the business, I was ready to be gone. And so if someone said, you want to go away for a long weekend? I'd say, yeah, sure. And I, uh, I went up there and I was sitting with a, uh, in an audience with a storyteller from Minnesota, a farmer, Michael Cotter. And he was telling stories about growing up on that farm and the things he had seen change through the generations. And, and his father was, had owned the farm and his father's father had owned the farm. And, 
and I was just moved by it. Uh, and you know, I'm, I know nothing about farming. I'm a city kid and, but I was profoundly influenced by it. And, and I had a kind of an epiphany. I thought, this is what I want to be doing with my life. And I uh, returned to Florida and, uh, my agency sold soon after that. And I'd been working with uh, an organization that was international at the time. It was called the Foundation for Mideast Communication. It was attempting to get Jews and Arabs into the same room to have a conversation. And that was difficult then. Is it maybe less difficult today in some ways, but, um, but it's still challenging. And uh, we would put on these workshops and and a, a good friend, Haiti Schleifer, and I were off in MC, some fundraising things. And then someone said to us, uh, hey, you guys are very funny. You guys ought to do an evening of story uh, of jokes, of humor. And we said, oh, sure. Yeah. So we worked all summer on our best jokes. And, and uh, I have a, a friend who was in the theater business. And I asked him if he would come by for coffee one evening, if we could sort of run through what we were going to do. And we did. And he looked at us at the end and he said, don't do this. You're going to humiliate yourselves. It will be, it will be terrible. And he walked out and left. And I looked at Haiti and I said, I don't know. Well, I subsequently go to the festival and I came back and I said, what we need to do is tell our stories. And she said, absolutely. And so we ended up creating an evening of storytelling about our lives um, and raised a lot of money. We, a nightclub, uh, it was called the Cheek to Cheek. It used to be in Winter Park. I don't know if it was around when you uh -huh. lived there. I know. Uh, it's been torn down uh, in the last years, but uh, they gave us the room. It was the last Sunday after Thanksgiving, and I had, that was my debut into storytelling, uh, was to get up on that stage with 250 people and tell stories um, about my life. And and one of the things I one of the things about that experience that has stuck with me that I think is something I still speak about to people is that we all have a story. We all have a story. And regardless of where you grew up and how you grew up, we all have a story. And, and my friend Haiti, her story is a big story. Her parents uh, were captured by the Nazis in World War II and interred in a concentration camp in Southern France where they were gonna be shipped off to Auschwitz. They escaped and it turns out Haiti was conceived in that camp. They escaped and through a series of miracles made their way north and got to Switzerland and ended up in a refugee camp. And that's where Haiti was born. That's a big story, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, not very few of us have a story that has that kind of drama associated with our, our, our beginnings. You know, I'm just a kid who grew up in Tampa, Florida, you know, who, you know, led a pretty kind of normal life. Uh, but I found that as I began looking at my childhood, there were a lot of humorous stories uh, that were fun, that were interesting. And, um, and we had a great time telling those. So that was, that was my foray into storytelling, which was uh, 1989. So that was a few years ago, <laughs> over 30 years ago. Wow, this sounds like, like a lot of fun. And in my opinion, all of us can tell stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this story like of our vacation, the story of our lives. Yeah, and I believe that telling stories is an art because it's not easy. 
for example, you went to this stage and you had to, you had how many people were looking? Oh, there were 250 people there. Sure. Yeah. 250, so 500 eyes. <laughs> and 500 ears as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. And the, Rick, um, were you ever into storytelling before this festival? Well, you know, what's interesting, Lucia, about that is um, I would not have identified myself as a storyteller. I didn't have that even as a category of what one could do with one's life or that, that um, but I was making up stories all the time. I mean, in my work in the advertising business, I think some of my best writing when I was doing a lot of the more creative work was writing stories, you know, uh, for, for radio and TV uh, commercials. But in my personal life, um, someone might say that I, I'm kind of a, uh, I tell a lot of tall tales. I love, I love, I love mixing a little truth with a little fiction and seeing whether, you know, whether people will, will, will you know, will swallow the tale and take it whole, you know, or go, wait, wait, wait a second, did that really happen? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? um, so that, that's my way of playing and having fun with friends and, uh, and and people sometimes still are never quite sure whether you know. And I have to say, really, that's what happens because sometimes you know, truth is stranger than fiction. You know, sometimes things are really you know something really odd does happen, and and you know, I probably suffer from the uh, the, the little boy who cried wolf too often. You know, no one wants to believe him anymore. But uh, I have a lot of fun with friends around around making up stories. Oh, I miss these things also to meet with my friends and to tell stories and to listen to their stories. And Rick, what does storytelling mean to you? Is this a story you create to share with others or is it the story you tell yourself? Well, it's that and more, I would say. So um, I've spent uh, part of my career making up stories to tell other people. Um, I think that the story we tell ourselves is really important. And most of us are not even aware that we're telling ourselves a story, you know, whatever that chatter is that's going on between our ears and our head, um, we're having a, a conversation or, uh, and, and sometimes that conversation is filled with, um, uh, beliefs that, oh, that's not something I could do, or that, you know, I, I would never, they would never accept me there or, you know, so we can, we, we often have stories, we call them treasures and trash. So there's a lot of trash in there. And some of it is stuff that we, um, we got from our parents, may have been stories that they told us that were self-limiting for us, uh, may have been stories we picked up in, in our culture and our society among our friends. Um, and it may have been just stories that we um, evolved in our head as a result of an experience and they're not helpful for us. They don't, they don't really support us in our life journey. Now, there's also a lot of treasures in there as well. So um, being able to discern what's a treasure and what's trash is important. And knowing uh, when to um, embrace the stories and to value them and to elevate them in your life uh, requires some discernment. But once you understand that that's the case, you can always ask the question, is that story really true? Where did that story come from? 
and we're swimming in stories all the time. Okay. So I don't, regardless, we all are swimming in stories. And, and if you watch the news, if you read the newspaper, you know, whatever it is, we are being bombarded with stories everywhere, all over the place, all over the time. And so it becomes really important for us to understand that uh, those stories are powerful and we have to be careful what we allow in, you know, what, what, what do we open the door to and what do we slam the door to? And, uh, and there's a saying uh, that comes from a neuro, um, a neuropsychologist, a guy named Donald Hebb. He coined this term years ago, uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. And it's an interesting concept because if you think we develop routines of how we do things. So, you know, uh, you could brush your teeth and read at the same time, and you could do a pretty good job of getting all the teeth and, and not have to think about it, right? There's a routine, the, you know, it's sort of the subconscious takes over and you don't have to give it any consideration. You get in your car and you do, you drive somewhere. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that's very efficient for us that we don't, you know, once we develop those, that wiring, we don't have to worry about it. That routine gets wired in. On the same time, at the same time, what happens often is stories also get wired in. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's so hard if we've been telling ourselves the same story for so often, so long, it, it's not just a story, it's the way things are. At least that's the way we experience it. We can't, we just can't even possibly see it any other way because it's so wired in. So that's why sometimes you have to go get a third party, a therapist, somebody who's not in the story, who, who's not enmeshed in that story, who has no, no involvement in it, who can give you some, say, well, that's an interesting story. Where did you get that? Oh, that's the way things are. Oh, is it really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and who can say, well, I don't think that's the way things are. I think that's the way maybe you have framed up your reality, the story you're telling yourself. So uh, becomes important for us to, because sometimes we just can't see it. We all have blind spots. We all have areas in our life where it's very difficult to see. Is that a story we've just been telling ourselves, or is that the reality? And uh, and stories are powerful. You know, the stories we hear from other people. There was a there was a famous study that was done years ago uh, that couldn't be done today because it was dealing with human subjects and with all the rules around uh, research now. Uh, they took, um, a, I told a teacher, they had, they said, we've assigned the students you're getting in your class this year. Uh, they gave, a, gave her a list. She said, these kids over here on, less, on the A list, they're really bright kids. And these kids over here are, you know, they're not very smart. They haven't done well. The kids were randomly assigned to the two lists. Sure enough, by the end of the year, um, the kids who were she who were she was told were the smart kids. They performed incredibly well, and these other kids didn't perform well. So that gets into this whole notion of self fulfilling prophecy. Is that um, is so when we have a story, um, the world begins. We start acting sometimes in very subtle ways to make that story real. You know, she says, "Well, yeah, but look, these kids haven't performed well." Well, what was she doing subtly in her interactions with those students? And what messages was she sending covertly in, in ways that would be hard to interpret? But the kids, you know, whatever, were, were, were they weren't getting the praise, whereas the other kids were. So uh, we have to be very mindful of the kinds of stories that, that we're living in. And, um, and then, then, you know, there's this another category because story is so powerful. You can use story 
in a lot of good ways. So uh, as if you're if you're a teacher, you can use story to to bring people into another world, into another experience. Uh, there's the old saying, you know, until you've walked in someone else's shoes, you know, walk a mile in another person's shoes and you'll suddenly know what their life is like. Well, we know that reading literature actually impacts our view of people that we have never had interactions with. People become more tolerant of others who are different. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yes. that's a very powerful thing. And so once you understand that, um, uh, story can be used as a powerful tool to engage people and to, to help people learn. Mm -hmm. And storytelling is the oldest form of teaching. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's you know, you go to back to the old cave drawings and all, you know, every continent has them. You know, they were telling stories through their paintings, but you can imagine, you know, uh, gathered there on a, on a cold wintry night as someone's telling you the story about hunting a woolly mammoth, you know, and, and, and they're, you know, it's like they was the early PowerPoint of sorts, you know, you were, you were showing you pictures and they were telling stories and, and those, what's interesting about that is the stories weren't so much about the past. They were really to prepare you for the future. They were trying to prepare you so that you wouldn't get yourself stomped by the woolly mammoth with you out hunting, you know, the things you needed to look out for, they were cautionary tales to prepare you to survive. So storytelling is, is uh, really important uh, for, for the future and helping us um, walk into the future and to create a future that we would like to, to see happen. Mm -hmm. And Rick, why is storytelling important also in business? Well, that's a good question. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I say to people uh, is that your business, um, your business has a story already uh, going on, and uh, whether you believe it or not, <laughs> whether you think about it or not, your business has a story, and and that story has a lot to do with all the things that occur in the business, and and the reality is is that what happened yesterday in the business doesn't exist any longer; it's gone. The only way it exists is in the form of the stories we tell about that. You know, you, you, you lost the big sale. You know? So now what do we do? We get around and we tell the story. Well, you know, uh, yeah, the, the bakery company didn't buy our cookies, you know, or whatever. Uh, what's the story we tell about that? And, and so we have a concept. We call it storylines. So in every moment, we have an opportunity to tell a story about uh, things that occurred. And the way we tell that story has a lot to do with the way we, um, we approach the future. So we could approach it like, let's say I was selling my cookies, uh, my partners in the bakery business. So I know a little bit about that industry, uh, trying to sell my cookies to a big grocery chain. And uh, they don't buy my cookies. They may have their reasons, you know, you know, they don't have enough shelf space. We're competing with all these other brands, whatever. Um, the story I tell myself as a salesperson when I come back has a lot to do with my future success. I could say, oh, well, that guy, they were probably paid off by that other cookie company, you know, and they'll never buy anyway. I'm never going to call on them again. Or I could come back and go, well, that's disappointing. I was really hoping to get that. What could I do differently the next time? What story? So now I'm in a different story. 
I'm in a story that's an empowering story that's helping me think about now I'm mobilized to be creative and innovative. And so story, I think, is the, um, the engine for innovation. And uh, I, I had a colleague recently asked me to, about curiosity. And so curiosity is about um, how we approach the world. And if we're interested, in, so we're always asking, what's the story here? You know, what other stories? Someone comes in and brings you the sales figures. You know, well, what story is this? Are these telling us? Well, there's a lot to be unpacked there. And you might be able to tell two or three or four or five different stories about those same numbers. And the story that you choose has a lot to do with how you approach your company and your business. Uh, what stories do we tell about, you know, our customers, Scott, they're, they're their story, <laughs> you know, that their story is the most important story. You know, what story are they living in? And if we understand that better, then we're more prepared to create products and services that are going to meet their needs. You know, and leaders are responsible for the culture and the values in the organization. And how how is culture transmitted? Story. You know, it's the stories we tell each other about what it means to work here and and. And, uh, and what we tell about the, the various people in the organization, who, who could be the allies, who are the people I have to be careful about, you know, those stories become really crucial. Yeah, we want to relate with people and better understand their background and personality. And you were on the team that developed the product Story Care. What is this product about? Well... You know, in, in healthcare, and this is true across the world, uh, but I can speak more knowledgeably about the United States, a lot of people are harmed in hospitals every day. And the numbers are actually pretty significant. And the, the harm is preventable. So um, it could be giving the wrong dose of something, giving the wrong drug to somebody, it could be doing, I mean, sometimes you hear about these really terrible things where the wrong site surgery, you know, <laughs> they took out the wrong organ or God knows, you know, so yeah, those are, those are that, that's horrific stuff. Um, most of these uh, kinds of mistakes are preventable and they're usually caused by one of three things, a but it's a breakdown in communication, teamwork, or leadership. 80% of the harm that's done, and the numbers are equivalent to a 747 crashing every day in the United States. That's how many people are harmed every day, um, uh, and it's all preventable. And you can imagine if a plane was going down, well, we just had this thing with Boeing with the, uh, the 737, whatever it was, that you know, it's, had these two terrible crashes, and they suddenly discovered there were some really serious flaws with the software, um, it, it, it took, well, you know, the first one, everyone went, mm, and the second one, that was it. That plane got grounded. Um, the problem in healthcare is that people are dying in onesies and twosies, and you, you know, you just don't see it. You know, it's just distributed across hundreds and thousands of hospitals. So the question is, how do we get teams working better together? How do we get them communicating and, and, uh, and, and, really having each other's back. So we developed a library of audio stories. And in these stories, they're usually about four minutes long. And 
Uh, so you have to tell a story pretty quickly. It has to, you have a beginning, middle and end and you got to, and, um, and I wrote a lot of the stories and also did the voice work for many of them. Uh, and in the stories, usually uh, one of two things happened. A patient was about to get harmed seriously, or we killed the patient off in the story. And so when the story is over, the team who's listening to the story gets to debrief it. So we th- we saw these as a sim- like a simulation. So there's a lot of work that's done with uh, very high fidelity simulation in healthcare with these uh, mannequins that you know that can reproduce all kinds of health conditions. Uh, this is very low fidelity. There's no mannequin there. You're just telling the story, and and what's really important is what's going on in the head of the listeners. They're reconstructing the story in their imagination. And they're making connections through that story with their own experiences. So, you know, it may be a story about something happened between a doctor and a nurse, and the nurse didn't speak up because the doctor had authority, and which is a traditional kind of thing that's happened. And the nurse was afraid to speak up, even though they saw that the doctor was about to make a mistake, or maybe it prescribed something that they thought was wrong. And um, so we have one of the stories we tell is about uh, at, at, at the changeover time, that's often when a lot of mistakes happen because a lot of information is transferred at that time when, you know, it's seven o'clock in the evening, the new nurses are coming on, the old nurses are leaving and there's a, a code is called. And so, you know, they don't have time to really do the transfer and the new nurse finally, you know, 830 at night is looking and reading the notes and something doesn't look right with the prescriptions for this particular patient. Whereas they've been going down every day in a particular uh, prescription, suddenly they were increasing it tremendously and it looked, something looked wrong to her. So she called up the day nurse and said, Hey, you know, what's the story here? I thought we were going down and the, and the doctor ordered a, you know, a five fold increase of the medication. Do you know? And she says, well, that didn't sound right. And she says, well, let's, should we call him? And because he can be really ornery, you know, when you call him at night, he's probably telling a bed, bedtime story to his kids, you know, he's being bothered. And she says, well, let him be bothered. We call, they call him. And at first, you know, he's, he's sort of indignant that they're calling. And then they say, you know, Dr. Smith, we see that you increased the medication and uh, we just wanted to confirm that that's right. And he's hearing that he knows it's wrong. And he's trying to think about what was going on as he was writing the prescription. Maybe somebody interrupted him and who knows, because we're all fallible, right? And uh, and in the end of the story, he says, thanks for calling. You're right. That was a mistake. It shouldn't have been five uh, uh, milligrams. It should have been 0.5. He forgot to put the decimal point. You know, so now, so, and there are lots of examples of just just that. So now we debrief it. And now suddenly the the, the team is hearing this and they're going, oh, you know, this sounds like something that just happened here. Or gosh, this happens here all the time. And then the question is, what might we learn from this story and what might we do differently? Um, so that product is, is still being used in hospitals. Uh, it's being used a lot in nursing education right now. Because how do you teach a, a new nurse about the subtleties of human behavior? You know, it's hard to read about it in a book that you're going to be in a power relationship with a doctor and then, how, you know, what how, do, you, do you speak up or not speak up? Now you get to see it played out right before your eyes and get to see the consequences of not speaking up. And um, your book is called Story Intelligence, and you discuss about restoring ourselves. 
what does that mean exactly? And can you give us an example? Yeah. Well, if we go back to the premise that we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, that uh, that we all are living inside of a story. Um, you know, when we're born in a family, there's a story already going on. <laughs> you know, we're born into a, a story that left the station in a sense. And, uh, and that story colors our life. You know, it, it, it informs a lot of the way we see things. Um, and at some point, as we become, get older and become responsible for our own story and our own life, we have to, I think, um, take an appraisal of what stories are driving the show, you know, and ask the question is that, are these stories useful? Is it, is this story that, you know, I keep on getting fired from my job, you know, because uh, X, Y, Z happens. Hmm. I'm wondering what my role in this is and what's the story I tell myself that gets me into that kind of situation where I'm in conflict with people or um, so restoring ourselves if you think of the word restore okay where does that you know to restore health uh is i think close to restoring our life and uh there's a wonderful storyteller named donald davis who's from north carolina he tells the story of when he was growing up as a, a young person his mother would often his dad was the local banker and uh and he and there were there were three Joe Davises in this town, so each Joe Davis had a different uh, nickname, and and he was Banker Joe, you know, and it was a one man bank, small town. And one night, he, his mother had dropped him off there, and his dad would put him to work adding up uh, all the numbers in the uh, in the phone book just to keep him busy. And he loved it. the old old timey adding machines where you had a crank and all kinds of stuff. And and uh, they were leaving and. The guy across the street who owned the furniture store was locking up too, and 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 and, and his dad said, "Hey, have a good night, uh, Jim." Uh, and Jim yelled out, "Yeah, you too, uh, Cripple Joe." And they got in the car, and 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 Donald said, "I, I didn't like that that he called you Cripple Joe." And now his dad walked with a limp. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, he said, uh, "What what didn't you like?" Well, he should call you Banker Joe. You know, you're an important person. And to call you Cripple Joe, that's really demeaning. And, and his dad uh, turned off the car and said, let me tell you a story. And when he was five years old, living in the, in, on a farm, uh, his brothers and dad were making shake shingles. And they used to, you know, they'd have to, you know, croak, you know get the wood. They had very sharp tools. And he desperately wanted to be a part of that. And they said, no, you're too young. You're going to hurt yourself. You can't, you know, you can't play with these tools are very sharp. You'll cut yourself. And when uh, their, his mom called for dinner, which was, you know, afternoon, you know, like one o'clock for lunch, everybody went in, but he held back and there was a little ax that was, uh, you know, stuck in a log and he pulled that ax out and he was chopping on all kinds of things and having a great time. And his mother noticed that he wasn't there and she called Joe, come to dinner. And he went to put that axe back in the log and it bounced off and ended up in his knee. And that's the way they found him. His father, you know, ended up taking him, got him on a horse, you know, they wrapped the leg up and, and went to the local doctor who, he said, I've never seen him as bad as this. I, I think we may have to amputate. His dad said, absolutely not. Rode on into town and asked the, to the train station. He, he said, when's the next train coming and where is it going? 
says, well, you just missed the train to Asheville, but the next train's going to Murphy and you can connect there if you need to get to a hospital down to Atlanta. Okay, and Grady Hospital, which, you know, I live in the Atlanta area now is the tertiary care hospital. That's the place to go, you know, if you're really hurt. Um, had just opened in 1905 and that's, they saved his leg. Okay. But he came back, he had to take his kneecap off. So he would sort of couldn't really bend his leg well. And he always walked with a limp. And, but because of that, he had to, um, one, he, he, he learned how to darn socks and to spin flax, which his sisters did. He couldn't go out and work on the, on the farm much. And he got to read a lot, you know, so he educated himself and, uh, so every day his mother uh, would make him tell the story of what happened. He said, well, I don't want to tell the story. I'm just going to be a cripple. My life is ruined. Okay. That's a story, right? It's and story. she, she would make him tell the story. So now tell the story today from the point of view of the, uh, the, the train master. And what did he learn the next day? Tell the story from the point of view of your dad. And what did he learn the next day? Tell the story from the point of view of the nurses at Grady hospital. And what did they learn from working with you? And this went on and on and on. And, and, and one day she said, now, what do you get? Tell the story from the point of view of what you get to do that your brothers don't get to do. And he said, he said, well, I get to sit in here and read all day. And they're out there sweating in the field, you know? So uh, he said, you know, if, if that hadn't happened, I never, I would, I'd still be working a farm today. And you wouldn't, your mother wouldn't have been interested in me you know, because he was banker Joe, you know, and he was an important person in town. And uh, so, you know, one of the things she said, she said, if you don't tell the story, that story is going to sit on top of you for the rest of your life. And you'll be 50 years old, but you'll still be five years old inside and you will be pitiful. Yeah. But if you tell the story often enough, that story can't sit on top of you get to crawl out from underneath of it and sit on top of it. And then it just becomes a story about something that happened in your life, but it doesn't define you. And so that's the power of story and to restoring our lives. And so we can take a look at any difficult experience we've had, anything that was wounding, and um, we can choose to tell it differently and in a way that's empowering and that doesn't define us or de uh, um, uh, diminish our spirit. Rick, you are an amazing storyteller and I could be talking, I mean, listening to you for the whole night, the whole day. It's incredible. Like you, are you like usually, do you give speeches as well? Oh yeah, I give lots of talks. Uh, so the, since the pandemic, that's been a little challenging, but I've done a lot of things online. Uh, so yeah, I give talks and workshops, um, do a lot of training and teaching and uh, been, just been working with some schools up in the Carolinas that are, dip, who are schools that are stuck in an old story around failure, you know, that they're failing schools. And so the question is, can we help them imagine a different story? And then if that's the new story, what would it look like for them to, to act with that story as their core story? Yeah. So, yes, I've been doing that kind of, I do all that kind of work still. So what can we expect from you next? Well, you know, the, all the ideas and principles that are in the new book, Story Intelligence, you know, we talk about the seven powers of story. And I've, I feel at this stage of my career, 
what I want to do is create something like a story intelligence academy where we're training uh, leaders from all over the world in these concepts and ideas. We're also training educators all over the world in these concepts and ideas. And uh, I think I think story is the most powerful force in the universe. There is nothing more powerful, it's our human universe at least. And uh, so it's incumbent upon us to become really adept at that and to understand it and know how to use it responsibly, ethically. Uh, so I want to make a big difference in the world doing that. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And can you share something your readers wouldn't know about you, Rick? Oh, well, they probably don't know that I'm an artist and a photographer. And so I've been painting my most of my adult life. In uh, another little foray in my life, I, I dropped out of graduate school and went off and studied painting for a short while at the Art Institute in Chicago. Um, but I've been doing, I've been very interested through the years uh, in trees. And so I have a, a, actually there's a show here in Atlanta right now I've been very interested in macro photography of tree bark. And so what's interesting is when you get really close up, there's just remarkable, beautiful patterns and in the, in the lichen and then the, the structure of the bark and the colors of the bark. And so I've been photographing tree bark for a long time and um, have a, I've got a piece in the show right now that's uh, here and it's, uh, it's just opened in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, keep doing this. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Rick, where can our listeners find you, your book? Yeah, uh, they can go to www.storyintelligence.com, uh, storyintelligence.com. And there's information on the book. There's lots of blogs there. There's videos. There's lots of other resources. Um, so they can find out how to purchase the book, uh, whether they want an ebook or audio book or printed book, whatever. And um, so they're welcome. please come and they can register and get more information if mm -hmm. they choose. Oh, thank yes. you very much. Rita. Oh, thanks for having me, Lucia. It's been just a delight getting to know you. Thank yeah. you for having me on. enjoyed this episode be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted please rate this podcast and share it with your friends thank you for listening and remember relationships don't exist relating does until next time